ridiculous questions. Yes, that's yes, that's your thing. <laughs> but I'm, but but our but our our listeners would I'm sure like to hear their actual thoughts as well. Oh, Beyond you're just like right. disagreed. What's the weirdest thing you put cheese on yesterday? <laughs> okay, bye. How do you know that's exactly what I'd ask? <laughs> it's simple, it's formulaic. <laughs> child's play hello everyone and welcome to the outpost a podcast about inspired thinking i'm feeling scared today because tom is sitting next to me on the couch and i'm not sure we've ever sat next to each other during the podcast that is a scary prospect so i'm not inspired i'm scared i hope we can make it through can you be both? Depends. Will you stop blocking my light? Well, <laughs> I have a way I like to sit. And why is the light behind me? I've <laughs> set up to fail. Well, let's start with community questions. So, Tom, you got one? Why, why I, you have, I do have one. Okay. All right. A question from the community. Do you... Mu- <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. It's written wrongly. Do you do much work with contractors or freelancers on your projects? Can you talk about working respectfully and productively with other artists and creatives that you bring into your projects? Okay, so this is pretty big, right? Because a lot of the times, I mean, through Vindication specifically, how many artists did you wrangle? From Yeah, from an illustrator standpoint? Yes. Like more than 20. Yes. Yeah. So it's definitely something that we do in practice. So what's the secret to to doing that properly? Lots of ideas here. Yeah, I th- I'd like to hear from the former contractor and freelance yeah, artist that's, that's sitting right next to you. Yeah. Um, well, I think maybe Mark should go first and then I can. Okay. All right. Well, so before there was an Orange Nebula, there was uh, an agency uh, a graphic design agency that we've run for a long time. And so we did a lot, we've done for decades, a lot of work with contractors. And what you learn um, working with creatives is, well, there's a number of things, but one of the most important things, when the question was posed as respectfully, that was that was an interesting way that that was phrased, I think, to me. Um, a lot of people try to bring in people to get something done and they micromanage. And I think that's a huge mistake with creatives. I think creatives want to feel like they have their creative spark or their flair put into it. A writer needs to use their words. An illustrator needs to bring it to life the way that they would while still being directed with the project the way that it needs to go. And I think I think that's a really important part of it. I also think it's important to pay them um, immediately and pay them fairly. Um, and... It, you know, don't make excuses. Don't try to do too much trade with them. Just just pay them like they're a professional um, or get your business together to the point at which you can actually do that. That's that's probably in a nutshell some of the things I've learned that are the most important. Yeah, I think I found with Blue Blazer stuff that, well, and also with some Orange Nebula stuff, that people are so used to being micromanaged that mm-hmm. they kind of expect it. And they come into the situation sometimes almost like if you've been a freelancer or a contractor long enough, like ground down to where you're just like, tell me what to do. I'm here to do the work. And because they've got some other outlet for their their own creativity, mm, like, yeah. you know, I'm a writer and I do my fun writing over here, but this is just work writing and I'm going to do what you tell me you want. And 
I've noticed something that we've had to do over the years is convince freelancers and contractors that we actually want them to express themselves in the work. Like, no, just bring yourself to this own part of it, be a part of what we're making, feel ownership over this project that we're doing. And I think that that is something that has really benefited our work with freelance people is letting them know that we do respect their voice and we are hiring them because we want that voice, not because we want them to perfectly execute our voice. And I think a lot of people don't, I think a lot of contractors, not all of them, but a lot of them want to express themselves, but forget that when they're doing freelance work. There's there's another piece of it too. And I think a lot of times a contractor will view it like, look, if I have to do too much interpretation, that's the wrong thing. I'm not going to make any money doing this. So mm-hmm. I need you to outline specifically what you want so that I can give you what you want. And I think, I think we have to untrain that at times too. But for a moment, let's turn this into the, the Krista podcast special because <laughs> I want – I want to talk a little bit about why Krista's here and what was so impressive to her from a contract perspective. We generally, when we hire contractors, um, we do that for a period of time and so that we can just kind of see what it would be like to bring them on, if, even if we have an opening. And, and with Krista, we worked for a long time. And she would always ask for clarity. She would always ask for what we wanted. She was very interested in the details and wanted as much of that as she could get, but also would do her own research and come up with ideas and thoughts that were not provided to her and they just ask, does this fit? How does this work? You know, and I, I, the toggle between the two of wanting to kind of make sure that the project was handled appropriately. And, you know, am I, am I, am I headed in the right direction? Felt really good. But also the fact that you would just do your own research and be like, okay, here's all the thoughts and bizarre, weird concepts that I came up with for this. And I tried to do them fairly quickly so that we could choose a direction felt like a really good business decision too. So like you protected the time. And so that's one of the things that we really appreciate about Krista. There's, there's others as well, but. Yeah. I'm thinking back to that first project that we worked on or that I worked on for Orange Nebula, which was the world box. And I remember meeting, I, I had done like some little, you know, small freelance stuff before. And then this was the first big project. And I remember you describing like what each of the, um, the needs were like you described what loot was versus relics and 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 companions and things like that and then you were like go <laughs> <laughs> and that was so exciting because I had like this framework to build off of um, like learning that was my first introduction to the game and then I was already I was able to like take my own thoughts and, and creations and put it into that framework and it was really exciting to build that even as just a brand new contractor. You've worked with so many contractors before for for art and illustrations, but chose to make the leap to bring Krista on as an employee and, and have her internal and be able to really harness her energy. So what pushed that choice and that decision to kind of switch from curating mini contractors to uh, bringing Krista in as an employee? Krista... We will not talk about you. Um, <laughs> I think that one of the key differentiators for us with Krista was that, you know, there are a lot of amazing artists that we have worked with over the years who bring great creativity and make amazing art. But Krista brings 
an additional layer to that where she she brings like this creative mindset and thinking and aura Mm -hmm. to everything that she does like her research is amazing and just having krista in the room and the way she talks about things and how like unabashedly herself she is all the time like changed we noticed that when she was involved in meetings it changed the meeting Mm. and that's not true of a lot of contractors who just kind of want to do the work even if they want to express themselves in it like they don't express themselves in this large way that affects the whole project like the way krista did instantly and you know there are other conversations that we can have that have nothing to do with what she does professionally like we're going to talk about you know social media or designing the layout of the kitchen or (laughs) anything and krista always brings a very cool helpful perspective that is like how how do we not just have her in all our meetings Mm -hmm. was mark and i had those discussions it's like we you know krista's in all these vindication meetings i want krista in every meeting Mm -hmm. like i want her here for budget planning because she thinks weird and And budget planning is scary now i'm really scared yeah the thing i appreciate too about that approach is regardless of how much direction you get you're still always thinking about what it could be and not just oh i have that exactly in my mind what you want and here it is it's more like okay but here's here's that thing you asked for but what if we did the little tweak thing over here what if we did this and that became a little kind of endearing part of this and I just I appreciate that and what that tells me is that the artist or the creative is protecting something about their own work and I have just worked with so many contractors in the past that just want to get paid and they just want to do this and they're not passionate about it and they're like I just got to keep the lights on it's really hard to feel like your your project is being caretaken if that's a word well if that's the motivation is just purely survival I want it to be something that that the that the creative wants to put in their portfolio and is proud of and we try to give a lot of leeway and a lot of slack for that so that they feel good about it too i'm going to get off track here for a second but now i'm just on liking krista (laughs) um but and this isn't going to be completely accurate but it's close enough like early on like there was the type of thing that krista would do is we would say you know like this and this is sort of a forest creature And Krista would like come back with the sketchbook and she's like, well, I went to the forest and I like dissected ferns and here's a bunch of sketches of that. And here's all these like I found a pile of beetles and I drew all of them. And then I kind of like put the ripped open fern and drew that on the beetles back. And then I'll like and like she just goes and does all this like hands on inspiration in the world that most people wouldn't do. I mean, you want to say you're going to do that. Like that's the dream version of doing your creative job. But most people don't. They just sit down and they draw a forest creature. And then it looks like every other forest creature. And yeah, very cool. Oh, I'm so glad that you like that. Because that's like, it's such a driving passion for me to, to like really be in the place and really like feel the depth of it, feel like the meaning of it and the resonance with me. And then I feel like I can bring that out in the artwork. It's awesome. It works. I imagine projects like a balloon. Okay, let's say we've got a, a mostly blown up balloon. I have a question uh, before you continue. What? Before 10 seconds ago, is this how you imagined projects or did you just come up with this right now? I just now? came up with it Okay, right go now. ahead. <laughs> I imagined a project like a balloon. Okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a mostly blown up in balloon and the people involved in the project are inside of it just kind of bouncing around. But there's Krista on the edge and she's like pushing 
the balloon, so right? Yeah, her <laughs> face, her hand. You can see like her whole presence just like pushing the balloon outward. So it's that like the, Ace Ventura and the Rhino. So that <laughs> so that the project has detail and depth and it's stretched to its fullest. Mm. Um, that's what a good. That's, I think that's what a really good artist does. That's and then it pops and everybody tumbles down into the bark dust. That everyone falls to their and, death because of Krista. And it's all my fault. Yes. Yeah. This is how I imagine every situation ending. Way to stretch the balloon. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. I, th- I think to close this out, I want to circle back to the question, okay. which to me reads like someone who, in our context, is probably working on a board game and they don't have any experience working with artists and they're wanting to find artists to work on their game. And what I would say is you're talking about human beings that are good at their craft. And so talk to them like people, you can calm down. Like the professional creative world is still just creative people that are people. So each artist that you talk to is going to have a different threshold for how much guidance they want, how much freedom they want. And what I would recommend, and you would hopefully agree is, you know, talk to that person, get to know them a little bit, feel them out, figure out where they're going to be comfortable. And then from that point, try to just draw them out a little bit more. Yeah. Ask yourself what makes it worth it for them. Mm -hmm. Why would they want to do this aside from money? Right. And I I can tell you most creatives are much more interested in the work than they are in the money. The money is the byproduct that they want to get paid for their craft, but they're much more interested in doing what they love. But don't stress it. There's not like a system of rules to this where, you know, the artist that you're talking to has had the exact same pro experience with everyone that's ever hired them. And now you look like an amateur idiot. That's not even remotely the way that this works. The only other thing that I think is a solid piece of advice that I've heard y'all talk about before is just like leaning into a really good creative brief. If you have a, a nice standard creative brief that you can share, it keeps you from having variability in the description that you give to the artist based on your mood and what you've eaten today, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So if you have a nice solid creative brief that, that really doesn't change unless it has to over time, then that is is just a better way to communicate the style of what you're looking for than trying to use your words each time you're talking to a new Yeah, and this, this goes for contractors of all types, right? This isn't just for illustrators. This is for anyone in the creative industry. And even beyond that, any you know, even a project manager, try to bring out that person in the works. It's not just the role that you, and, the, and the responsibility that you need handled. It's how will this person add some of themselves to that and nourish that and encourage that so that they can feel part of what you're doing and not like they're working for you, that they're working with you. Okay, Tom, do you got another question for us? <laughs> yes, I do. All right. <laughs> a little enthusiastic. Though. Question from the community. I have a whole bunch of things I've been dreaming about and want to make. I want to work on all of them at once, but part of me feels like I need to just pick one to take seriously and focus only on that. What do you think is more productive, working deeply on one project or jumping between multiple active projects? It's so tough. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I'm afraid to answer, but I think think the answer is both. And and let me explain (laughs) this. This is hard. This is something I've grappled with for most of my career. I know. I grapple with a lot of things, Tom. Weak. But I think I think to I think it actually behooves the creative to 
choose one primary project and give it their all, but working on other stuff in the side to a lesser degree will inform that work and make that project better. Um, if you go all in on one and don't focus on anything else, I think your level of burnout or your opportunity for burnout increases. Um, at least it has for me, um, especially if it takes a long time. So I think, I think kicking tires on other stuff too, maybe 15% of the time you're working on other things. It gives your brain another place to go to grow and learn apart from the thing that you're focused the most on. And it gives you a respite when you come back and you can come back fresh. That's how I like to think about it. We have to, in our business, we have to toggle between multiple projects all the time. And sometimes we have to step away from the creative passion project that's really got us lit at the moment. Like that's me right now. I'm, I'm running around doing things that I really don't want to do a lot of the time. And I haven't really made time for the thing that really I want to do. And one of the things I was going to talk to you about today, actually, Tom, was was how we can protect that sacred passion work a, a particular portion of the day and then go do your chores, right? Because I think if you don't do that, then the passion can fade and the burnout can start. Remember when I used to build that big box around my desk yes. and wouldn't close myself in <laughs> what it? What did we call it? The tunnel? Like the, cre the, the, creative, the creative cave. cave. The creative yeah. cage. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that, Krista? Do you like to kind of focus deep on one thing or jump between stuff? Yeah, I think it really, it depends on the person. But for me, I definitely like to have like a main thing and then other things that are kind of, I guess, growing in the shadows. Like um, me working on a main thing and there's a certain point where you, or at least I, get like a sense of fear. Like you get to a point and it's like a kind of paralysis or, you know, just certain times throughout the process. And I, in that time, I like to have something else that is low pressure, low stress. You know, maybe it's the other thing is getting in these refining phases where there needs to be, you know, decisions being made and you know harder things and then to have other things kind of just growing like little sprouts that <laughs> where there's not the pressure <laughs> it is you i can tell it's you <laughs> where there's not the pressure because i feel like and it's almost like one project can be in its seedling form can be what you do when you're procrastinating from the other one because a lot of time procrastination isn't laziness it's just it's fear and you go through these times where you just it's you know and so if you have other things kind of growing on the sides then when you finish that big project you already have all these all these seeds that have been low pressure and things like that and then of course they have to be taken through those finishing stages and then you have new new side projects and I find that to be really helpful for me to you know be working on multiple things that's what I wanted to say earlier, but I couldn't. That's why we have her here. I know. See more yeah. sprouts. We put her room. on the same couch as you two, so we can just slowly zoom in on her, <laughs> and, right. and you just become forgotten. It's the before and after. <laughs> I think there. I think there is some power to defining what you're going to work on and what you're not going to work on, though. Too, like as I've the last couple of years, I've tried to focus a lot on like what my actual core values are what my personal mission is and when I've put focus into that some of the other projects and ideas that I've had have fallen by because they were taking up space and energy in my head but truthfully they don't actually serve my deepest purpose and so by focusing into that 
the things that are falling off the side, now I have more energy to focus on the few things that maybe mean the most to me. Um, the other piece on that too that I find is I think it's important to work on other people's projects too. So like if, if you're just thinking about all of the creative projects that you have and that you want to work on and be a part of, there is this just immense inspiration that can come from being a part of someone else's dream that can also feed into your own project. So maybe if you're looking for some variability, if you can invest your time and energy and effort into other people's projects, I think it feeds back to you. It also gives you a place to kind of uh, experiment. Like maybe, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, it feels weird because I'm like, Mark, I'm experimenting with your projects, right? I've got my own projects that I'm I- I'm going to do all the weird stuff <laughs> in your <laughs> space where I don't care what happens. And then yeah, it gives you an opportunity to hone and master your craft for whatever your master project is, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting because I think a lot of times going back to the idea of freedom, like when we're all by ourselves doing our own thing, we maybe have too much freedom and we don't have any 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 walls to push against or anything to bounce off. So when you're working with other people, it's kind of like a way to form opinion. Yes. You say, oh, I see we're doing it this way. Well, but what if I want to do it this way? And then you can take that to your own projects and try it there. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're all by yourself, you might not have even had that thought. Yeah. The only thing that I haven't seen, like I couldn't agree more with everything you guys are saying. Um, I think there's great value in working on multiple projects. I experienced that personally, but I think the only thing we haven't really talked about is especially for the person that asked this question, which sounds like aren't, well, I guess you, aren't necessarily a professional like we have no choice but to finish our projects or we lose our homes or our apartments or whatever like if you're someone who's just trying to like on the side write something or make a game or do whatever your creative thing is there is a trap of just doing whatever for you is the fun part and not pushing through and getting through the harder stuff and I think you know, if, if you were deciding, and it sounds like you are, like, I want to take something seriously and actually finish something, then for you, the most productive thing might be for the first time in your life and the arena of whatever you're working on, you know, go to that next step. I know for years I had, you know, half a dozen unfinished projects because for me the like dreaming and conceptual phase is the fun part mm -hmm. and so I would work on that and I was in it and it was like the only thing I thought about and I had 6,000 pages of notes and then I'd do that for another thing and I'd do that for another thing and I'd do that for another thing and it was just great and fun but I never actually pushed through whatever the next step was that was hard for me and so it was good for me to develop the discipline to just hit it on this one thing and really push it along. And then, yeah, if I reach blocked points or my passion is waning or I have all this creative energy that isn't finding currently an outlet in the main project because right now that project is in some other phase that does, isn't receptive to creativity, well, then I can use that productively elsewhere. But I think it is important to identify that you should have the main thing if you're trying to actually finish a thing. Yeah, it's like you get these constant small dopamine hits from doing the stuff that is fun mm -hmm. in the moment, but you lack then the serotonin that can come from the long-term satisfaction of making real progress and having something real to show for the energy and effort you've put in. Yeah, and I think it's important. The more responsibility you have, the easier it is, um, or I guess the harder it is, 
um, to build time to get these things accomplished. Like your passion sometimes is the last thing that you have time for. And, and I think that that is a detriment and an obstacle to getting it complete. Um, and so the discipline of scheduling better and building in intentionally little windows to work on that, I think becomes something that is necessary for you to actually complete it. If you're a busy person and you have a lot of responsibility, I think it's especially in the creative industry, if this is part of your job, that makes it easier. But if you have one or two full-time jobs and then you're also a parent and then you're also trying to do this thing on the side, you're going to need to cut something and you're going to have to be very intentional about those windows. And if you do that and you carve them out and you put them in your schedule and you execute in a disciplined fashion, I think your chances of succeeding are, are go way, way up. So cut out parenting and, <laughs> and right. all your creative dreams will come true. This is not, I do not approve of this message. <laughs> I'll teach their own. All right. So let's go ahead and move <laughs> on to the main topic for today then. Um, if I'm honest, I... I was sitting in our planning meeting a couple weeks ago and we're always talking about like yeah, 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 creativity, yeah, 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 creativity. And I'm like, God, could we just take a different angle for a minute? And I'm like, what about destruction? Right. And this idea just was very attractive to me. What destruction of what? Ju just what role does destruction play in creativity oh so still we're, we're still on creativity we're so still you, there but so I you didn't go very far yeah. but i want to come at it from a different angle right mm. i mean we're all making things and we're so creative but let's like blow some stuff up as part of this stop episode. being so cute with your creativity yes let's blow some yeah let's get the m80s out like when we were kids and blow up a watermelon or whatever <laughs> we used to you never okay no. It's just me. I am friends with watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> we know. Oh, and it's weird when you're over there whispering at your desk. And <laughs> is that the same watermelon for the last year and a half or is it a different one? It's hard to this tell. This is going to go in. I have a new, uh, Derek and I have been coming up with this new concept of snack merch by Lacey J. And I am friends with watermelon might have to fit into that. That's um, fair. I, lo I love how you're slowly pulling everyone in this company out to work on your side projects involving snacks. <laughs> exactly. Like, no one's going to be available for work here because no. they're doing so much snack Because my projects. snack brand is Lacey's going to get to the point. Yes. There we go. So, destruction. Um, I will. The first thing I want to bring up is the concept of the law of thermodynamics. Okay? So, let's science this for a second when we're thinking about destruction's role in creativity. I'm just settling in here for Good. whatever's happening. Good. The first law of thermodynamics, also known as the law of anybody? Conservation of energy. Very good. S don't give me a smirk remark. Or there. I can, no I, smirk remark. Snarky <laughs> remark. Whatever. Don't do it. I see your face getting ready. Um, <laughs> the law of conservation of energy states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Energy can only be transferred or changed from one form to the other. So what that really means to us is if something exists and we destroy it, it doesn't actually, it's not gone. The energy, the heat, and the work that went into the creation of that just gets transformed or changed into something else. Let's try that with your snacks. Okay, so if I destroy your snacks, they just get transformed. This is true. You put snacks in your mouth and you destroy them, at which point they are then transformed. Then it becomes fertilizer, which then can make something, make one of Krista's seedlings grow. Friends. This is not what you My signed up for. My seedlings are not grown. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
mushrooms. Thank you for mushrooms taking my it. science lesson and turning it into something wild. Uh, but let's be real for a minute. Destruction, I think, is a huge part of creativity. It has to play a role because we can't create and create forever and then everything will just be too full. And so things have to be destroyed at some point. So, um, Tom? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> How does destruction play into your creativity? I mean, I think the really first, the obvious first answer is that, you know, things have to be trimmed. You can't just build something up forever and then call it good. Mm -hmm. You know, you build something up and that is a discovery process. And then you have to blow things up and kill your darlings and whatever um, to make something. Um, you know, we could probably talk about that for a few minutes, but I feel like that's vaguely self-explanatory. Um, I think you have to destroy your own perceptions a little bit um, or your own preconceived notions when you're going to really work on something. I think for myself, when I'm working on something creative, I'll sit down and I'll think this is what I'm making. Mm -hmm. And I always sit down just naturally as a person with sort of these bumpers up and these parameters and this vision that I have of what it's going to be and how it's going to be and why and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I have to be willing to tear those down as the project kind of takes on its own life and moves around and isn't what you were expecting it to be, or you discover something cool or, you know, you'll never really find the, the best stuff you're going to find if you're not willing to destroy sort of the barriers that you were unconsciously putting up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, destruction of self, I guess, in a way. Yeah. The, whatever the, your ego's idea was of what this thing is going to be like when it's completed letting the idea be able to kind of form into its own thing instead of trying to have these artificial parameters around it that define it in a way that, that you at the point of your thinking of it created, which really is more of a limitation than it is a, a an actual structure sometimes. And I think if you're, if you're not willing to do that and destroy what you're bringing to something, you're going to end up, accidentally bringing in too much of what you've seen other people do because I think that's just kind of human nature. Um, you know, I, if, if, if you sit down to write a fantasy book or make a sci-fi game, like if, if you're not willing to destroy your own experience of what that means, you're not going to make your thing. Um, what you were about to go. Yeah. I mean, What you, what you make is not going to be perfect in the first try, and sometimes it just doesn't work. And it's really frustrating to pour a bunch of energy and time and resource into something that isn't working. And a lot of times people will just be like, scrap that, and then start over. <clears throat> but sometimes I think the process of destroying it um, with a little bit more intentionality and trying to trying to watch the pieces fly apart so to speak blow it up sometimes you can learn a little bit when you do that and I know that sounds maybe a little strange but uh, as opposed to just avoiding it or starting over from a blank sometimes you can learn from all that work you just did and I think walking away from something is not the same as destroying it right so I'm going to try to stick with destroy okay. because there's a lot of times <clears> like when you're making something you can't fit everything that you want into it so you have to make cuts that's not necessarily destructive because they usually come to life in other places. Destroying things, I think, in my mind, has a lot more to do with mindset and 
mental obstacles to getting you where you need to be. So in my mind, when, when you were talking to me with about this, talking to me about this earlier, it came into my mind that the thing that has to be destroyed are the mental obstacles to, to what that is. And so as you open your mind, um, which is a good thing. I think sometimes you have to close your mind to other things and you have to absolutely destroy, blow up, disintegrate, you know, laser beam <laughs> on the things that will steal your joy or reduce the effectiveness. And you're laughing about my laser beams. I just can't. Im- I, now? I just immediately was like, I put it in a box and smash it with a hammer. Throw it off a cliff. <laughs> well, what if you drown it? Like- well, I, I thought of a little teeny tiny version of Mark inside his own brain running around with like a flame thrower. <laughs> like this one gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that, that guy's always in there. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> a pyro. Comes out a lot when you're driving. <laughs> yeah. And, and we second guess a lot. Um, just in their torch and self-control. <laughs> <laughs> self-control is not a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Verbal filter. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's one of the things that needs to be destroyed a lot of times is that the voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough or that, that people aren't going to like this. And, you know, that's something that you could go ahead and hit the little Wiley Coyote TNT box on. You know, oh, I just love this idea of little mini us's inside of our brains destroying just things that aren't serving us up. Uh-huh. Awesome. and laughing with glee. Um, one thing that I think about destruction is the sense of awe and wonder that it can bring. Right. I mean, you've you ever been driving by something that's on fire, you know, and like you literally cannot help yourself but to pull over, park, get out the car and join the other 15 people who are watching this thing go up in flames because the sense of awe and wonder of destruction is just that magnetic. Is it another car? I was going to say, is that that There's also like something wild and free about destruction. Like it feels like this force almost outside of you. And I think it's really healthy to bring that into your creativity and understand like, cause we do get really precious about the things that we're making. And it feels like I made this. Like every piece of this is important. And I think we we tend to think of destruction if we're talking about, you know, the actual, you know, taking away of something you've made as being like this concession that we make or something that we have to do sometimes because, oh, this part just isn't working. So we're going to destroy it. Like, mm-hmm. but I think if we embrace it more, like, you know, like we're, you know, super crazy and punk rock about our creativity, like, and it we build things up and we blow them up and we tear them down and it's just this free wild and crazy space. And then we put things back together in different ways and like embrace that as being a powerful and potent part of the creative process. And it's fun and not, and, and it's, we see it almost as liberating from like the tyranny of having to make the thing you made continue to work. Like I think turning our perception of destruction from being this thing that we have to do sometimes and boy is it hard but gosh we just have to make it work Mm -hmm. like we have to force ourselves to do it as opposed to like we just love blowing like it is part of the process Mm -hmm. right it 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 provides this place this fiery place for us to look at and enjoy and then get inspired to do something new when I was a kid, there was a radio station in town. I think it was called Z100, and they had it this still exists. this thing on there. Does it does it still exist? <laughs> yeah, it still exists. Okay, well, it's like a top forty 
poppy type. It's not necessarily that anymore. Listen but. to that. It was very Casey Kasem. They used to have they they used to have this event where you could call in and if you won, you got to nuke a song forever, and they would never play it on the station again. Whoa! And there was a huge response to that because of the destruction of the thing that you that you knew you didn't want to listen to anymore. You you know, I think we could. I think I am really connecting with the idea of you know never again and then the flames go up into the sky sorry chumbawamba but this is, exactly. but this is what's happening yeah the world has voted yeah or or something that we do a habit that we're not going to do anymore or you know like i think that there's something that comes with learning that involves destruction but it's in a, it's in a healthy way um, and you can learn from that and i think you can also learn from other people's destruction which is probably the best way <laughs> it's like yeah that's not going to happen to me right might be a little safer yeah mm-hmm. seems that way mm-hmm. i like to make um ritual out of destruction so at the end of the year where my kids you know like the teachers send home all the paperwork and stuff we've done projects it's poster boards and all sorts of things but like you can't keep that stuff forever and so what are you going to do secretly throw it away when your kids aren't looking that's not very respectful either and so I've been, each year I've been doing these kind of, we, we burn it. You just have a glitter and glue bonfire. Basically. <laughs> wear your N95. Gather N95 around. <laughs> and, and burn some of it. Like the big poster boards that they worked on and everything. Because there's no place to store that forever. So we just say, okay, this is the end of the year. You're like, listen, the one you make next year is going to be better anyway. Yeah, so. we got to make space for it. So let's <laughs> burn it together. And what's interesting about any time that you do something that is a ceremony, I'm saying in quotes, or a ritual, is that it actually gives you a place to put the feelings associated with those things. Anytime that you're you're doing something or witnessing something in real life that represents an idea, it means, okay, I'm feeling these feelings of wishing this project still what it was, but I put those feelings here during this ritual, right? I watched that go up in flames, and the feelings that I'm feeling now, they belong there, and I can move on. Does that make sense? Definitely. It does. I I feel like... Krista is very mindful and intentional and like introspective with her process. And I'm curious if what she's talking about, like what, how does, have you ever thought about destruction as being part of your creative process or would you think of it in different terms that involve four sprites? (laughs) (laughs) Got to work that in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really connecting with what both of you are saying. Like the idea of accepting destruction as a part of it and i feel like that really frees you in it it's like a relief like for example with those poster boards you know i always put so much time and effort in and and just like you know extreme care into every aspect of projects like that at school and i think perhaps if i had done something like that like recognizing okay this physical object is going to go away then that kind of frees you to think, okay, what really matters about this? When this physical object is gone, what am I going to take away from that? And so you end up putting, like approaching it a little differently and perhaps, I don't know, that thinking about the things that are going to last in it rather than obsessing over the details. Whatever you destroy, you don't have to carry, at least not mm. in the same way. From a physical and a mental load perspective. I think you can carry something else as a result of the destruction, but you don't have to carry the responsibility for that thing anymore in the same way. 
You know what it also makes me think of is the Tibetan monks that do the sand mandalas, right? They spend like days together creating this sand art, and at the end, they just wipe it all away. That's yeah, um, a very Buddha board kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that actually. It really changing your perspective on what you're making by focusing less on just changing where you're focusing, I mm-hmm. guess, and, and, and focusing on the other personal things involved in making something and, and less on this end product. That's really interesting. Definitely. And it's, it's almost, it's a relief actually, whether, you know, f- f- through the end product um, or just like from the process, knowing that there's going to be things that you have to let go of throughout it. I find it's like, if you take that pressure off of you and you let go of the physical thing, you can really embrace the actual process. And you actually have a different perspective than the rest of us on this in that if you're working on a piece of, you you do a lot of like actual analog in the world, real media of art. And so like if a piece isn't working, you have to actually like destroy that piece or bury it in new layers or throw it away which is very different from like making version 17 on the computer. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel like working in analog changes your perspective on, on destruction versus doing something on a screen? That's really fascinating. Yeah. I think it kind of, it provides limits that make you have to embrace it more. Like in a digital illustration, you can keep working the thing and keep working the thing and keep on fiddling and changing it this way, changing it that way. Whereas, working on paper like the paper has a limit it's a physical thing and it says okay i cannot be reworked anymore it starts to you know come apart and so you have to be aware of those limits more and i find that that is also it's kind of like one of those freeing limitations again it's like you have to just do something and decide and then sometimes it doesn't work and then you do have to start over you prompted a thought with what you guys were just talking about with the the sand things mandalas mandalas that's and what the monks call them is we're gonna do one of those sand things today <laughs> them sand things. it's gonna be good for us <coughs> if you if you were if we were to destroy everything that we made what's left is what you have become in the process right what mm. you've learned and i wonder if we all took that perspective if it would be enough right if we didn't have something to show for mm. it other than who we've become in the process that is an interesting perspective and I, and I think one that probably should be considered carefully because most of getting good at something has to do with failing and walking away or destroying or whatever it might be. Accept the things that you've learned and, and what you've become through those, I don't know, oftentimes hardships or disappointments or whatever. And I wonder, I wonder if we were all forced or learned you know, we're forced to learn when we were small to destroy something that we put a lot of love and time and passion into and watch it burn or watch it degrade or disintegrate or whatever destructive (laughs) thing you have in your mind, which I'm scared. Um, I wonder what, I wonder what that would teach us and what, how much better we would be if we embraced that more and didn't see it as loss, but we saw it as gain. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like another monastic thing that the monks would ask you to 
work on this thing forever and then they come in and they're like very good and then they destroy it and that's Mm -hmm. your lesson that's right (laughs) well it kind of is like the argument that you and i have sometimes about whether creating something for yourself is enough or whether it has to be shared in order to reach its full potential and i think that's almost i liked hearing you talk about it because you saying if you destroyed it and how you changed in the journey is that enough that's the the way that i keep kind of Uh, butting up against you saying, you know, even if it helps only you, your project that you put your soul into, I think that is enough. You know, saying you finally won this argument. I'm low key saying. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for finally coming around Um, to the right way of thinking. Thank you for destroying my pride. There is one more angle that I want to take with this before we wrap, which is we've been talking a lot about the idea of uh, us choosing to destroy something, but there's a lot of times in life where destruction happens to us without any, like corrupt files. Preach. Yes. Don't don't go there. I That's mean, just too too soon. <laughs> if I'm if I'm Mark has left the chat. <laughs> um I mean horrible things, natural disasters that happen that that you know demolish cities, deaths in your family, like destruction ha- can happen to us and I think that that impacts creativity as well. I mean anytime you have a community of people who have their infrastructure destroyed. You see how people come together, um, and and the the beautiful sense of community that's often built after destruction. Um, so is that not a testament too to to destruction and its impact on creation? You should just embrace the fact that it's going to mm-hmm. right. You're either coming out of something or about to head in head into something um, terrible. <laughs> it seems like in life, and it has its ups and downs. But you're right that. I mean, it's going to happen, and so how are you going to respond is, is kind of what remains after that. That is a really different angle than what we've yes. been talking because we've been talking about like destruction within the bubble of your creativity yes. as opposed mm. to there's destruction that then inspires, feeds, or otherwise influences like the outpouring of it is creativity, yes. which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. You it's see it a lot when someone passes away. They feel yes. very inspired mm-hmm. to either honor that person's life or I'm going to live my life this way or I'm going to write this thing or make this thing. I think I think we should probably nourish and cultivate more of that. Well, I think, you know, in, in, at least in stories, you know, a story really begins when something changes, when the status quo has been disrupted in some mm-hmm. way. And if your story is this creative endeavor, you know, it is usually going to be a change to some sort of status quo or the desire for one that is the catalyst for the creativity in the first place. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, destruction may be the source of a lot of, or most creativity if we stretch the meaning of destruction or how we're perceiving it. Yeah, because it seems like in order for something to be destroyed, it has to exist and it has to be and it has to be built, right? And so when you destroy something and you take that structure away, things have to be rebuilt, right? I mean, a a tsunami hits a city and it's destroyed. So all the infrastructure and everything that people leaned on and used during their life is gone and it has to be rebuilt in some way. However, it can be reimagined as it's being rebuilt, um, but the energy, the structure that existed has to be re, you know, put back together 
And people have to be inspired to do that because there's a lack now because of what's been destroyed. Are you also talking about like our own projects or our own selves as being this proverbial city that was destroyed by some act of God? Or am I I just doing that on my own? Think about a death in the family. Like these are structures as well that are built between people. And when that is gone, you have to do something with that energy. It's grief. And that grief has to has to display some way or else it just poisons you. Um, I don't know if that was the answer to your question, but it felt right to say. You're saying a lot of things that it feels like (laughs) feel right for you to be saying right now. Yeah, you could relocate that city to a non-coastal space or you could build it differently. Um, I don't know if it has to be rebuilt. I think there has to be a response. Um, And and maybe you build something different Mm -hmm. or... There, there is an opportunity there, I would definitely agree. And I think that some some folks, or maybe all of us, don't always take advantage of those opportunities as they come. Um, but it's definitely worth thinking about carefully, how can we make ourselves and others better through these things that happen? Um, and sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. And, you know, I, th- I think... Yeah, I think that's worth thinking about. I think better is a good word and an interesting way to tie together what you're talking about and what we talked about earlier. You know, when you're working on a project and you're within the bounds of that project, you have to destroy within it to make it better. And I think oftentimes in life and in the world, we things get locked in the way that we're talking about. Don't let that happen in your project where this is kind of the way that it is. And when something comes along to destroy it, there's an opportunity now to build something better. So that's true in your projects, but it's also true in life. Mm -hmm. But there has to be the void of the breaking of the thing for there to be the space to build something better, I think. Hmm. Okay, let's call that good, shall we? I'm happy, which means everybody is happy. Lacey's happy. Okay, well, if you would like to order a tiny miniature mark with a flamethrower that you can put inside of your brain, too, that will be available on orangenebula.com. It's just this Um, pill you take. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a little mark in there. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want to hear more from us, of course, you can subscribe and leave us a review. If you liked it, if you didn't, go on to your next activity. Um, You can share this with a friend if you'd like. And we would love to see you inside the Outpost community group on Facebook or in our Discord channel. Um, So we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you three for sitting with me for a while. Tom, I don't hate you after sitting on the couch next to you. This worked out well. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll do it again. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. All right. Talk to you all later. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs> whip it around the chandelier and fly across the room. It would look room. like a giant snail. It would be like... <laughs> yes. Whip roll up. Fruit roll whip. <laughs> <laughs>